Hi, I'm Leslie Peters. Dave and I would like to thank you for tuning in to another podcast episode of Black and White Men Talking, where we truly believe that when black and white men learn how to really and truly talk, we can change the world together. If you'd like to find us, we can follow us on the Apple. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of the places where you normally follow find your podcast. You can also find us on YouTube as well at Black and White Men Talking and just search and we should come right up for you as well but further if you would like to connect with us i have dave and i come in and lead your organization through a transformational workshop around diversity around black and white men truly having the tools and being equipped with the tools and techniques to properly communicate we'd love to do so so just hit us up leslie at visions v-i-s-i-o-n-s hyphen group.net or info at visions dash hyphen group.net and we will get right back in touch with you enjoy the episode and continue to follow us at black and white men talking Hey, Leslie Peters. How you doing, buddy? Dave, I'm doing great, man. We are in for episode number 12 today. Episode 12. And this is going to be a fun one because... They're all fun. (laughs) They're all fun. Every time (laughs) you and I get together, it's fun. Today, um, uh, it's going to be lighthearted because we're going to talk about just simple things that annoy us, right? <laughs> uh, just, you know, uh, that's it. Just simple things that annoy us. Right? So I'm going to let you kick it off, Dave, and let's uh, dive into it. But first of all, before we do that, how's the family? How's everybody? Yeah. I tell you what, it's a great day to be alive. Um, of course, That'd be every day, right? Because uh, you'd be dead, right? So, uh, (laughs) no, I had my daughter down. Um, Speaking of being alive, my my daughter came down. We had a funeral yesterday, uh, a young man who um, got caught up in drugs and uh, not sure exactly what happened, but he overdosed and uh, passed away and touched a lot of lives. And so um, there's been a lot of um, death um, you know, around me and my family this, this past couple of weeks. And, um, I don't mean to be somber. This is supposed to be lighthearted, right? But, uh, we have right. a, a young lady, uh, she was a junior in high school, uh, driving her little sister, who's a freshman. They were going to school quarter mile from their home and they had a wreck and she got killed, uh, young wow. lady. Um, and she was uh, ejected from the vehicle. It's just a little seatbelt issue. She dropped her cell phone, reached for that, picked it up, and then got off the road and rolled the Jeep. And she went out and uh, um, really touched the community because she was uh, going to be a, uh, a softball player at Indiana, Indiana State University, which is uh, Terre Haute, where Larry Bird went to play college ball. And her sister was already up there. And uh, so anyway, the entire... Indiana State University team came down to the funeral and they said there were around a couple thousand people there. Um, just a, a tragic, 
thing. This gal, I think she was already offered a full ride scholarship to play softball there. Um, and then I was with a buddy of mine and, um, there's four people that were killed, um, in an, uh, another accident. Uh, they got T-boned. A guy ran up, you know, ran through a stop sign and hit him. And it was a, a man my age and, uh, his wife, and then a, uh, a son and daughter-in-law, and they were just good friends with my buddy and uh, all four of them just gone like that. And, um, uh, the lady, um, it was her brother and sister-in-law and then nephew and niece. And then she had just buried her mother the week before, um, who had passed away. And this lady is like 50 something. And then her husband had uh, committed suicide last year, a year ago. And so this lady was just, I mean, devastated. I don't know how you get through, you know, stuff like that, but, uh, just a lot of crazy things going on. But my family, there's always good that you can bring out of situations. And, um, and so my, my daughter came down from Indianapolis. She got to spend time with her. She got to spend time with, um, my son, uh, which is good and daughter-in-law. So, so those are good things, but actually we're doing well, but, uh, move <laughs> and, and it sounds kind of down, but, but here's the, the positive. Um, you Spin can it up. Lift, lift this back up, Dave, because you took, yeah. it down. <laughs> took, it, took you down the bottom. No, here, here's the thing. Here's what we need to look at. Our attitude is, is the thing that can make every situation better. Uh, now we can't change what happens. Okay. Those things are accidents. Those things, they happen and they're tragic, but in those situations, we need to say, Hey, wait a minute. There are some good things that we can take from them and let's be thankful about this or this or this. And so, um, when I look at that accident with that young lady, she's 17 years old. Well, the good thing was her sister wasn't killed. You know, she was in the vehicle. It rolled over. And she did have her seatbelt on, so she she survived, and 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 that's some positive there. But uh, just tough. But but one of the things I wanted to talk about, as kind of lighthearted, was a question that I don't know. I've I when I was in the corporate world, uh, I traveled a lot. I had about sixteen states that I managed uh, for a company that I, I represented, and. Um, I noticed when I traveled for interstate, you know, four lane highways, I'm out in the middle of you know nowhere from city to city. And, and I don't know if this is a black and white thing or, or, okay. or what, I don't know, but so I'm going down the road and when you have a four lane highway, you've got, you know, two lanes going each direction, but you have a, on the right side is your travel lane on your, on your left side is your passing lane. And so the faster drivers, you know, will, will be able to pass and then get back in and I noticed, it seemed like to me, and uh, you can, you maybe have an idea about this, but it's like, okay, black folks seem like they get, they traveled in that passing lane and stayed in it for a long time because I'd come up behind them because sometimes I'd drive faster than I should. And, uh, <laughs> and, them, and they're like, you're driving in that lane. And I'm like, hey, dude, uh, get, in the, get in the travel lane so I can pass and, 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 you know, they wouldn't move over, so i just go around them. You know, not a, not a big deal, but I, I look, I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, why aren't you in the, you know, travel lane? And and it seemed like uh, maybe a disproportionate number of black folks would do that. Now, not always. It, there's, you know, white folks, you know, Hispanic, whatever. 
but of course a lot of my territory was in the south so maybe there's you know a higher population you know in the south but it just it seemed kind of interesting to me never really made me angry or anything like that but it just i thought well leslie i'm going to ask you do you know anything about this or have you heard anything or or have you experienced this yourself or what can you, <laughs> can yeah, you well, listen can listen you, i think I think I don't I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a cultural things in terms of race, but I do think it's some cultural things in terms of the South for this reason. So I because I, I like I said, there have been times where I've been that guy in that lane. But as soon as I see somebody because I'm either I'm, I'm driving for a good distance, I'm zoned in, I'm either listening or I'm in a phone call. Yeah. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, when you're in a phone call, you slow down. If you don't right. say yes. slow down. Yeah, if you and don't you have don't to realize. Though. And so either my wife will bring it to my attention, get your butt in the other lane, or if I'm by myself, I will see the car. <laughs> Once I see the car, I will immediately get over in the other lane. But what I so I think that's what happens. And I think the other thing culturally is even though we know the rules in the left lane is passing lane. I think because so many times in the South, when you're on a four lane, ain't nobody. When you get over there, there ain't nobody on the road. There ain't nobody even in the left lane. So right. I think you just, you drive with both lanes. You literally do. You right. Just, you right. Just, I think people in the South, because we kind of move slower and, you know, we're like, we're going to get there. We just drive in both lanes. But for the most part, as soon as we recognize somebody behind us, we get over to the right. Yeah. Now, for the folks that don't even try to get over, I can't even understand that. I don't <laughs> know what that is. That, but, but, um, the only exception to that, I would say, the only time I've had it where people didn't get over, when I pulled up and got close enough to them, I realized they were elderly, and they um, probably just didn't feel like they had enough space to get over, because they're not going to just jump over. Right. They got to have full clearance for them to make a move like that, and they just kind of got stuck over in that lane. Right. So that I understand. But yeah, that's what I think it is. I don't think it's anything racial, culturally, but I think it is definitely different when you're from the South. You can tell somebody who's driving this from the South versus somebody that's from the Midwest or from the North or from the East Coast or the West Coast. Because from the South, we don't drive as aggressively as everybody else drives around the country. Right, right. And so because we kind of, when we get to a destination, we can probably tell you what we saw along the way. When you right. get to a destination, you probably can't tell me nothing you saw because you weren't paying attention to. So it's, you know, so what I found in times where I'm not on a time crunch, I'm not pushing to get somewhere where I'm truly just getting, we, we enjoy scenic driving. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think that's what happens. So that's all I think it is for that one. Okay. Okay. Well, I just, I thought I'd ask, I thought, well, you know, what is, what's going on there? Is there something about it and, and so forth? But now I do personally, I really enjoy driving during the day, uh, the yeah. daylight hours, because I do like to see things. I do yeah. like to, to uh, kind of take in the, the sights and, and, and enjoy, you know, the well, I don't like driving the nighttime because I think nighttime, I just think you got a whole different kind of driver. Yes. <laughs> Well, they'd be crazy. And, oh, and, my gosh. And people and, are, are and insane. Yeah. And the risk they take. But uh, that's yeah. just me. <laughs> yeah, it's but. nighttime driving. Uh, it's dangerous. Now, here in Indiana, uh, where I'm from, 
we have a whole lot of wildlife. I mean, we've got every kind of animal you can imagine. And the big ones get on the road at night. Um, we have deer. We have um, buck deer. Uh, we have the does. And they're all pretty big because they're, they're grain fed. You know, they eat the corn, they eat the beans, the soybeans, and they're, and they're pretty healthy. <laughs> and so you don't want to hit those goobers. And, uh, and it seems like if you see one and it runs in front of you, look out because here's another one. Because typically there's two at a time or even three at a time. Yeah. And so you got to be really careful. And at night, uh, you can't you can't see them ahead of time a lot of times because you know your headlights only go out so far right. and you don't have as, as good a vision. But we have, you know, skunks and, and raccoons, possums. And, of course, this time of year, the, uh, the, the skunks are um, – they're mating. It's their mating season, oh, okay? Yeah. And they are dead – everywhere and and you don't even if you don't hit uh, a live skunk you don't want to hit a dead one either if there's no. one on the road do not hit that goober because you'll get that stink yes. up in your car it's nasty and well, so <laughs> speaking of that i'll tell you an interesting story so when we first moved in our house that we're in now so it was uninhabited land before so you know it was just wildlife and then they converted it to a neighborhood right so the wildlife still thought this was home, right? So I <laughs> I spent the first six months catching skunks, man. I got really good at catching skunks. You were catching skunks? Yeah, yeah. I put a trap out. I had this. It was a coon cage, but yeah. it worked for skunks, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, so oh, if yeah. you put you put some chicken in there, man, you put some chicken or something to smell good, just need to be hot, uh, and, and a little bread, something they can bite, man, they are not the smartest animals in the world. Let me just say that. <laughs> how, 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 and then, you know, we would set the trap in the day, right? Because, right. you know, skunks are nocturnal, so they don't come out tonight. Yeah. And if you see them in the day, they sick. So you want to stay away for sure because they're sick. They got rabies. They, they, they Right. Yes. True. So, so I would bait it. I tell my daughter we bait it. We put it out of day. And then at night, we go look from the window of the house as they come come there, man. So I, I end up catching like by the time it was all said done, like twenty one skunks, something like that, right? No way. Yeah, yeah. Until it finally got enough people living here that they kind of re re yeah. moved on, right? Yeah. But how they would go in, they would fall for it every time. They go right in the trap, and as soon as they go in the trap, the trap would close down behind them and, yeah. and lock them in. Right, because you didn't want to kill them, and then I would call animal control, and they had their equipment and stuff, and they would come over, and they would shoot it from a distance. They got this long, like twenty foot pole, and they could stick it right into the trap. Oh, and they would shoot the skunks with a tranquilizer to put them to sleep. Oh, okay, okay, and then they would catch them and put them in a bag, and then they would relocate them somewhere else. Right? Okay, but. <laughs> But man, listen. One night, I I watched two skunks. They both go into the den. Now listen, this, this got me. You see another cage that's sitting over here. The skunk looks at his friend. Go. He watches his friend go in that cage and get stuck. Yeah. So you, so you know it's not closed. So it's 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 um, a wire cage. Yeah. So you can still see and talk to your your friend. Yeah. They can see you. So I know he had to be telling them, do not go in the cage. <laughs> so there's another cage parallel to him. So you know this other stuff went to that cage and went in there and got trapped in that one. 
So now they both looking at each other in cages, and the other skunk is like, I tell you, I saw the other skunk through his head. He was just like, what? <laughs> He's like, I told I you not to go up. in this cage. But what you do not want is to mess with them and have them spray. So out of all the 21 we caught, I would call Animal Control. I got on a first-name basis with them. Oh, yeah. So we use a tranquilizer. And so what it would do, put them to sleep, keep them from spraying. Right, 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 yeah. And then they would remove them. And, man, that went on for like six months. You probably got a gold medal for, for skunk catching, didn't you? Listen, now listen. I wasn't the one catching them. I just said the trap, then I go in the house and watch. I'm like crazy. I'm not going out there. Uh, You're smarter <laughs> than the skunks. Uh, yeah. And then now I got a problem with these doggone birds. So anyway, I got all off the subject of what we're talking about, but I just had to tell it's you. It's still so fun, though. It's here's, here's, the, here's the pet peeve for me, right? Here's something that annoys me. And I found this to be culturally. So help me out, Dave. So why is it that if I'm in a long line, like to get something, right? Right. Could be at a restaurant, could be at the dry cleaners, could be Ray. And I'm, and the person in front of me is white. So we all been sitting in this long line. Sure. You got all this time to figure out what you're going to order or what you want. And then when they finally get up to the front and they right ahead of me, they ask you 50 million questions about the menu and you ain't looked at it the whole time you've been there. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. gosh. Dave, why do white folks do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I call it uh, court awareness. And the reason <laughs> Larry Bird was one of the greatest basketball players ever because he was court aware and he knew where everybody was at and what was going on. And he, he had an awareness about him. There are some people just like drivers. They think they're the only one in the whole world and, and the world re revolves around them. And they're just number one, they're selfish and rude. Okay. And then some of them are in what I call tree stump stupid. Okay. It, you and I would look at that and say, Hey, idiot, we've been standing this line 20 minutes and you haven't figured out what you wanted. And then you got to ask all these questions. It's like that. Hey, drives me crazy, too. And I don't know if it's if it's white guys. They're just they're rude. They're disrespectful. They're stupid. Whatever it is. I, I don't know. But they're not aware. They don't have court awareness. They're not they're not aware of other people around them. And, and, and I think it's rude. and It's disrespectful. And that drives me crazy, too. I'm I'm with you. So I didn't know it was a white thing, but uh, it may not be. But it it just always seems to be the case for me. And I just be like, <laughs> we been sitting in line for at least ten minutes. You could have figured out what you wanted by then. And I I, I want to say, do you mind if I go because I know what I want? Yeah. And then it's like they got fifty million questions. It's like, well, okay. Um, I noticed on your menu you said you have. Uh, uh, the chef salad has ham and turkey, and it's. Uh, can you tell me where your ham comes from? Uh, yeah, right. It's fast food. It's processed. Yeah, the <laughs> I can help you with that. Come on, it's <laughs> bottom of the barrel, buddy. <laughs> this is not organically grown. Right, like we got that whole food. Can you, can you? So it's it's um so that's oh. one of the things that really annoy me, and I have to really work with my patients that. Well, here's what you need to do, Leslie. Okay, next time, next time you get in that long line, here's what you do. 
it's all about our show here, buddy. Black and white men talking. Yes. Start a conversation with that person in front of you ah. and say, and say, Hey, said, uh, you know, Hey, I really like eating here. I like, uh, say, you know, I like the cheeseburgers or I like the salad, the chicken salad or whatever. Just get to talking to them and, and kind of feel them out. Okay. And yeah. Say, well, hey, have you been here before? This your first yeah. What do you, you normally get? Yeah. See, and you kind of help them along. You know, you're kind of coaching them is what you're doing. And you kind of, <laughs> and it's kind of selfish on your part because you're like, okay, this guy looks like an idiot. I think he's going to be a problem. Okay. And, and, and even if he's not, maybe you'll, you'll make a new friend, right. you know, but, and he may think, wow, this guy's really helpful. Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but you need to start that conversation because you never know. It may, you may turn it into and say, Hey, I really like this. And he may say, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. And then, and then when he's up there, okay, his mind's made up because you suggested, you know, uh, and, and maybe it's a subliminal thing, but, but that's a good conversation starter. And I, and I, I know we all go into these places and we all in, we're all in lines, you know, I think we need to think ahead and, you know, and just open up a conversation uh, and, 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 and do this, think about it ahead of time, because let me tell you something. So many times you're in those, it's like getting in an elevator. Okay. It is weird how the silence in an elevator, it's almost like people lose their, their voice. And it's like, can't you even say hello or good morning or, you know, good afternoon. And, and of course I'm just friendly, you know, myself, but, but to me, I, I think it's a sign of respect. You know, when I see people, when I walk past someone, always look them in the eye and always greet them. Okay. Either with a, a smile, number one, or a nod of the head. I do that a lot, but, uh, but getting back to your question, if you're in line and you're behind this guy and, and you're thinking, Hey, there's a 50, 50 chance. This guy's going to be an idiot. Um, <laughs> you, you need to start the conversation, buddy. And, and you may help yourself as well as helping this guy. So, and you may make a new friend. You may, you may be wrong and he may be okay. And now you got a new friend or an ally. So there you go. I'm going to do that next time. I'm going to do that. You do that. What you got, Dave? What, what yeah. else annoys you? Uh, I just, you know, I think of the, the drivers and stuff. Um, I, I just. Um, yeah. That driving really gets to you. <laughs> driving really gets me. Well, I used to travel so much. I put a lot of miles on vehicles. Uh, and I've been very fortunate. I actually haven't, knock on wood, I haven't had any tickets. Um, I got a parking ticket when I was up at Purdue University once. But other than that, I've been very blessed and, and I haven't got tickets. Uh, not that I haven't deserved them, <laughs> but, um, but I just, uh, one of the things on the road irritates a tar out of me are these semi-drivers. I don't mind sharing road with semi-drivers, but when you're on a four-lane highway and uh, then they pull out and then they run side by side, yes. like it's a race or something, you know? And it's like, dude, it's not NASCAR where you can run lap after lap after lap side by side and eventually you get ahead of them. You know, either pass or get off the pot. You know what? You know what I'm saying? Because it's silly. It's well, it's disrespectful, and that's what guys we desire respect. Okay, and so I agree with that, you. 
I agree with you 100% on that one. I have the same pet peeve. I can't say it. I'm like, why are you going to get side by side? Because you have just shut down the whole interstate. Yeah. Yes, know? exactly. Yeah. And, I, and you I'm know probably, what I call it? I said that's when 18 wheelers are bullying uh, regular cars and trucks. True. True. That's what I call it. Yeah. That's a good point. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Because they they know what they're doing. You you, yeah. you can't not know what you're doing if you're 18 wheeler at that point. So, yeah. you yeah. know, and I get to the point where I'm thinking at some point, the guy in the slow lane, you would think he would be able to see, you know, 10 cars back there waiting to get around. He would maybe slow down just a smidge, you know, just two mile an hour, you know, back off just a little bit. So that guy could get on around, you know, because after a while, it's like they're both idiots or they're both rude bullies. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Now, the guy passing and blocking the, the, the passing lane. Yeah, he's he's the worst, you know, in my opinion. But but I get I, I don't know. I just I don't like disrespectful, rude people. And that's and that's <laughs> that one kind of gets me, uh, you know, and so. But uh, I I got to laugh when you said your wife, you know, oh, Marcia yeah. says, oh, yeah, she, she's the worst critic of me. On that. She, she gets on me about that. Oh, man, because she has that same pet peeve like you. So she yeah. calls, you got to be courteous to other drivers. And yeah. So, you know, so she gets on me bad. Yeah. You know, well, Dave, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't do this. This is our last show. Oh, in no. History month. You got, you got terminal we, something? No, no, this is our last show in the month of February. Oh. And it's, the, it's been our last show in Black History Month. And so I wanted to, as we uh, kind of wrap it up, I wanted to definitely uh, have you talk about something particularly keen to you. And I know we've shared many stories, and I, I know your favorite. Uh, I, I already know what you're going to talk about, but I, I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. You're ahead of me. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but you, you love talking about it. I, I'll put it like this. His last name is different, but if you take his first and middle name, it's the name of our first president. So, <laughs> George. George Washington Carver? Yeah, yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's your guy. Um but I wanted to just kind of highlight a couple quotes and I'm going to, I'm going to say some quotes and then I want to get your thoughts on them. So this first quote comes from Coretta Scott King, uh, the late wife of the Reverend Martin Luther King may they both rest in peace. Yes. And here was her quote. She said, hate is too great a burden to bear. It injures the hater more than it injures the hated. Yes. I will repeat Coretta Scott King says hate is too great a burden to bear it injures the hater more than it injures the hated exactly exactly that's and i talk about that in my last book uh you know finishing on fire i talk about um anger and hatred and unforgiveness and and just um all those wicked things that you carry around the burdens inside your heart Okay, they only corrode the vessel that carries them. Okay, so when you un, you're not forgiving to people and you're 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 hating people and you're angry all the time, it's corroding you on the inside. It is eating you up, 
and it's it's not hurting anybody else, you know, but maybe to a little extent. But but for the most part, it really injures you. And and I've got one of my one of these other guys that I really really like. Okay, um, it wasn't George Washington Carver. It was um, Washington. Um, oh gosh, up from slavery, Booker T. Washington. I've got in my office back here, I've got a quote. I got a picture of him and I got a quote and I'm trying to remember. It is basically, it says um, that uh, right does not become wrong. Um, bad does not become good. And evil does not become, uh, you know, righteousness or whatever, just because a majority of people believe it. Okay. And so a lot of times a majority of people, you know, back in his day, you know, slavery, you know, and, and, and just because a majority of people believe something that doesn't make it right. And so many times, uh, you know, he stood up for what was right and he was a minority and then people came around. And so that was uh, historically, he was, he was an amazing man. And of course he was the, um, the founder and president of uh, Tuskegee Institute at the time. Now it's Tuskegee University uh, Golden Eagles. And uh, one of the most beautiful, cleanest campuses I've ever been on in my life. And I've been to a lot of college campuses and universities. And uh, that was just, it was impressive. It was, it was very impressive. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's my quote is, uh, and I, I know that I probably screwed it up, but, but he basically saying right does not become uh, wrong, doesn't become right, you know, and evil does not become good just because a majority of people, you know, believe it or hold that opinion. So, so I thought that was really good. That is true. I, I like that. I like that concept. Um, you know, Speaking of Booker T. Washington, he had a quote. Let's see if I can remember it. I'm going to try to uh, go off the top of my head. Uh, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life, but by the obstacles that they've overcome to do so. Yes. And I think that's paramount because we, we often want to measure success by things by materialistic things that we have acquired, what yeah. kind of car we drive, what neighborhood we live in, what type of house we have. And the reality of that is those are facades. And then the social media world that we live in, people paint the images that they want you to see, but that don't mean that's who they are. Yeah. And success truly is the story of how you overcame the obstacles you faced that determined success. Just the fact that you overcame it made you successful. Yes. You know, yeah. I think about the fact that people said, Oh, you'll always talk with a speech problem, never be able to speak to people and get paid to speak to overcome that. I succeeded the moment I overcame that. Yes. The moment that I overcame the problem, the moment some pay, somebody, somebody paid me that first check to speak, I overcame that. So success is in overcoming the obstacles. And then you brought up Tuskegee. And so sometimes um, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I like to bring, you know me, I'm always like to bring a little energy in there and a little culture thing. Because with HBCUs, and Tuskegee is an HBCU, and what that stands for is Historically Black College and University. It doesn't mean that they're all Black. It just means historically they were created 
Yes. Blacks when they didn't have an option to go anywhere else. That's right. That, But if you go on any HBCU's campus today, you'll find that it's a lot more diverse than you think. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, but I just wanted to put that disclaimer out. But one of, I'm going to find a song that Tuskegee is known for. It's called Ball and, Parl Ball and Parlay. And I love it. It's their hype song. If you ever go to Tuskegee game, that band is going to play this and they know that chant. So I'm gonna find that. I'm gonna find that, Dave, and I'm we're gonna jam to that on the way out. But uh, cool. definitely, definitely, we'll rock with Tuskegee on the way out to that. Uh, yeah. A couple of other inspiring quotes uh, before I kick it back to you, and then I look for that part is Nelson Mandela, who I admire in so many ways. Yes, um, he said this. He said, "For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chain." but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Yeah, yes. The reason why we want black and white men to talk is because it enhances yep. our belief in the freedom of others. Yes. Because now we can have meaningful conversations about things that we don't understand, things that annoy us, things that, and we can be enlightened culturally on another culture and another perspective and here's the thing guys once you are enlightened on the reason why something happens you'll be amazed at how much paces you have for it going forward you don't have to agree with it but you understand it yes and that's the enhancement that's the enlightenment that i think nelson mandela was speaking to he's like and i think that's a point i want to see america get to you know just yes. because people say hey but we didn't Put you in slavery. Slavery been over, you know, uh, for a long time, and we didn't do it. I said, just because you cast the chains off, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make you free. <laughs> so freedom is is to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others that are not like you. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so that's true freedom. So we haven't gotten there yet in America. We're trying to get there. But we haven't made it there. And that's what it's about of all people. Because, you know, Desmond Tutu has a comment. Uh, I'm going to find that quote of his that he puts it in a, in a, here it is. He says, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. Yes. In other words, your humanity and my humanity are no difference. Your, your A, blood, a blood type and my A blood type can support each other. They're no difference. They go uniformly in my body and your body. Yep. Our humanity is the same. Yes, that's right. You got two legs, I got two. You got two. Yeah. Our humanity is the same. We, you yeah. you know, because you were born white, Dave, you, you don't have an extra liver than I have. Our humanity is the same. Yes. And so he was saying that our humanity is bound up in each other, for we can only be human together. And so that's why we got to move beyond that. I kick it back to you, Dave, yeah. where I find that uh, thing from Tuskegee. Yeah. I, you know, you remind me actually of, uh, you know, someone that I'm, I'm close to in so many ways. My family is intertwined with uh, Abraham Lincoln. And one of the, the most successful things that he did, of course, uh, you know, freeing the slaves, uh, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation, and then the northern states, which is what I'm a part of, you know, Indiana is a northern state. We fought and we died. I have family members, you know, that that fought and died, you know, for freedom. 
And, uh, and a lot of these folks, uh, I, stories from um, regiments from, from Maine and some of the northern territories, they, they hadn't even been around black people. And they did, you know, they had never met a black person yet. They knew what was right and wrong. And we do know what's right and wrong. We, we really do inherently. I think we do. But Abe Lincoln, one thing he wanted, once the Civil War was over, he realized that, you know, to be a country, to be one nation, you know, we're all to get we're all on the same team. The, the human race, you know, we're all on the same team, actually. And just like Desmond Tutu said, you know, we're all intertwined in humanity and, and to be who we need to be, we need to work together on the same team. And, and of course, being a sports person, we understand teamwork and we just want to help each other be better. And Abe Lincoln did that. He said, you know what? We need to be respectful and we need to make sure that we don't uh, come in here. And then all of a sudden just, you know, extremely punish the South after the war because, well, they lost what? Uh, how many hundred thousand people died and, and a lot of their, their land was gone. And it, and it was devastating because, you know, the North went into the South, they burned Atlanta and they did all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was bad. And, and he said, we need to heal. Okay. We need, we have a bad wound and we need to heal. And, and a lot of people died and families were destroyed. But I, I think today, and it's been, you know, so many years later, we're still doing stupid stuff and not, you know, giving the respect that is deserved. And, and that has always bothered me. Uh, and, and of course I've grew up in a, you know, uh, basically all white community, but my dad, if I disrespected anybody, he would have beat my butt and uh, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He just, that's just the way he was because my dad understood he was a Christian man and he knew you know what's right and wrong. You know when you're treating somebody with disrespect. Right. You know when you're up there at the front of the line and, and you can't figure out what to order and you've been there 20 minutes. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's, you're it's, in the left lane like old Leslie here. You won't get out of the way. You know? yeah. <laughs> and Glenda says, Dave, get over. Dave, get over. And I'm like, honey, I'm I'm going faster than everybody else so I can stay in this lane, right? But yeah. uh, but no, it comes down to, to communicating and, and if you respect yourself, if you really do, you're going to respect other people. Okay. And so it's almost like when you're nice to other people, guess what? Most times, almost every time they will reciprocate and they're going to be nice to you. And so actually sometimes it's kind of like manipulative to be nice to people. And I don't say that. I say be genuinely nice to people and respectful because you'll be amazed at what you're going to learn because, um, Jordan Peterson, he I, I really love a lot of the messages he has said. He says, you know what? You need to listen to everyone you meet and respect them because they know something that you don't know. And they do. They have lived a different life. And you can actually better yourself by listening to them, you know, by approaching them with respect enough to say, you know what? I bet I can learn something from this person. And when you learn things, good or bad, doesn't matter. <laughs> you learn something, it helps you every time you learn something, something yeah. new. So no doubt. That's and then, as I said, I couldn't have said that better myself. That was excellent. Um, you know, if I said this up and centers on our way out on our last show of black history month, uh, let me set this up. So it, cause, cause this is a history lesson. 
to just yes. kind of get our audience. So at HBCUs, I don't know where this myth got that came out that HBCUs or go to HBCU, all we do is party. We ain't got money like that to party. Not like y'all talking about. Like you party way more and my and my partner's friends at the at the at the power five and big white schools, because because they had more resources. <laughs> so, right. so I can tell you that. But what we did, um, a lot of the chants and things are really optimistic. And if you think about what they're saying, they're made to get you through the obstacles you face while you're getting your education. Because yes. it's, it, nothing is easy at an HBC. You're going to have to earn it, right? There, there's yes. no carpet getting rolled out to you. You're going to have to earn it. The professors are going to challenge you. They know what it takes. They're unique to your situation. And they will work with you and work with you, but you're going to have to show the effort. You're going to have to come to play every day. And so as we, now I would normally toot my own HBCUs horn, but I'm a lover of all HBCUs uh, and what they stand for because of why they were created. Yes. We had to have them because we couldn't go to school anywhere else. <laughs> yes. Well, I had a, I had a, a, a white friend of mine. It's been probably four or five years ago and something came out about these, you know, HBCUs, you know, historically black uh, college and universities. And it's like, you know, he, he makes some kind of comment like, well, we don't have, <clears throat> you know, why do they have, you know, special universities? And I said, Hey, goober head. <laughs> I said, they weren't allowed in university of Alabama. They right. weren't allowed in uh, university of Georgia. They weren't we allowed to Purdue. Or, we went to <laughs> probably Purdue too. I mean, you yeah. know, and, and any, 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 uh, predominantly white institution we could not go to. They were all yeah. white at that time. They would not accept us, even if we well, were all A academically. And so it didn't happen until athletics in the late 60s. And we've already covered the story of how that happened when USC, I think, had the black athletes and Bear Bryant had them come down and play them and they beat Alabama. He said, now that's why I need black players. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's just call a spade a spade. Now, if you look at every PWI, Look at most of the athletes that are playing in, yes. in your predominant in your revenue sports, your football, your basketball, which yes. is your revenue sports at nearly every university. Baseball only at a couple university actually pays oh. for itself. Oh uh, yeah. If you're not at the ones that constantly win in the World Series, yeah. you don't pay for yourself. Right. So right. It's football and it's basketball. That's so right. Revenue sports. And look That's at right. the players and look at <laughs> look at the numbers. So they're mostly yeah. black. We couldn't go before. So when you think about, um, and people all say that to me, that's so why you guys have historically black schools now? We don't have PWI. I said, what'd you just say? I said, you don't have PWI? You just said it. You have predominantly white institutions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. You have a bunch of them right now. More yeah. than we have HBCU. We yeah. only have 107. Yeah. <laughs> Every other college is you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So they was like, oh, I never thought about it like that. We have that and have always said, yeah, you had it first. <laughs> yeah. George Washington Carver, who was uh, one of the great, well, um, Booker T. Washington brought him into Tuskegee, but he was the first black man to get his uh, uh, master's degree at uh, Iowa State University. Yes. Is, is I think it's Iowa State College at the time, but Iowa State University, and they wanted him to stay on. He was just a magnificent um scientist uh you know biologist a scientist and, and just an amazing man oh my gosh uh and he was actually a slave baby um and his mother was killed and and uh, just a a miracle of a life 
but uh, George Washington Carver, but he went through, yeah, he went, he ended up, he went to like a Methodist school and once they, they saw him, they wouldn't let him in. And it's like, are you kidding? That's a Christian school, right? You know, and, and that was in Iowa. And it's like, and, and he, he had some folks uh, that, that helped him along the way. Uh, and even at Iowa state, um, he wasn't being treated real well. Uh, he had to eat his, his meals in the basement at the, at the dining hall uh, with the cooks and stuff. And there's a white lady that had, had um, he had gone to church with and, and he had helped. He was a cook for her for a while. And she, she was very prominent. She was a doctor's wife. Well, she came to the school and she went and, and she walked all around campus with him. Okay. And all this. And then when it came to lunch, she went and she ate with him and it embarrassed the staff and administration. And they're like, uh, ma'am, would you like to come up here and eat? He said, no, if, if my friend can't eat, you know, with the uh, regular, you know, student body, I'm not going to eat there. And boy, things really turned. And it was because that prominent lady, she was pretty wealthy and, uh, and, and it just, it had to be in their face and they had to show, you know, Hey, you're being rude, obnoxious, racist you're you're wrong and 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 it changed and he helped and then once that happened things really turned and and he become quite a favorite you know at the school so so again dave why must black and white men talk for that very reason yes things happen when black men and white men talk things happen that's right and and, it, and there's a lot of good things so much more we could do together so much more we could do together and i think it's just about understanding each other and i'm gonna tell you when you start talking, like you, you can't do nothing, my friend Dave. You're gonna have to do it to me too. I mean, like, when you start talking, boy, does it enrich your life? And that's what Desmond Tutu was saying because our humanity is the same. Yes, the same. That's exactly right. So we'll go out on Tuskegee. I'm gonna give you some of the lyrics to this, and you can listen for your saying. But what they're saying is, whether it's sunny or gray, we're gonna ball and parlay. Keep it crunk every day. That's the Tuskegee way. So take your seat, cause we live marching hard eight to five. That's what we do every day as we ball and parlay. So this is just just celebratory. Yeah, keeps you moving, keeps you inspired. So I'm gonna put that up, and we're gonna go out with them, and uh, and enjoy this, Dave. Enjoy all our right. audience and uh, listeners. Enjoy this. Uh, the courtesy of Tuskegee University's uh, Marching Crimson Pipers uh, Ball and Parlay. If I can, let me. Let me <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. Now, I appreciate that. I'm trying to get this right here. Let me let me make sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. Here we go.
That's good stuff. That's a little ball of parlay. I can tell you there's nothing that gets you motivated, gets you crying <laughs> a good chant. Particularly if you think about it, you just might have just had a bad day. We all need something to motivate us, keep us going. And one of the things I will say about this that I want to remind us all, the reason why this worked, it, it can't happen if you're by yourself. You got to be unity amongst others and rally together. So why is Dave and I making such a clarion call for black and white men to talk? Man, just imagine what would happen if black men and white men started learning how to ball and parlay together. That's right. We can change some things in America. We can change some things in this world. So Dave, my dear friend, I thank you for your friendship. And I thank you for the value that you've added to my life and the enhancement that you've provided to my life to make me not only a, not only a better brother, but a better person and a better friend. Thank yeah. you, my man. Hey, same to you, buddy. Thank you, Leslie. All right, we'll see you on the next episode. Remember, you can find us, almost forgot, Dave, you can <laughs> find us on YouTube and hit this, if you're watching, I hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, hit the share button, so you get notified every time we have a new episode that's released. Also, you can find us on Spotify if you need a car. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Listen Notes. Heck, wherever you find your podcast, we are probably there. Black and White Men Talking Podcast, you can find us there. And if all else fails, you can go to podcast.blackandwhitemantalking.com and you can find them from the web. But wherever you want to find us, we're there. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you keep on the lookout. We have a lot of resources coming for you later this year, uh, workbooks and books. We're also available for training um, in organizations on around diversity and how to start this dialogue with black men and white men, particularly how to have these discussions, how to create an environment that's conducive for it to make it a positive thing. So until next time, we want you to ball and parlay with somebody that doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, so that you can enhance each other's lives and then you can truly ball and parlay like my friend Dave and I. Until next time. Best, 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 best.